0: Good evening again. So, as I said, we're going to have a topical study on the New Covenant. And so, if you want a place to camp out, you can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But I have the sound team, they're working overtime tonight. I have a number of verses up here that they're going to scroll through as we uh, go through this. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for prophecy, Lord, and the promises that you have for your people, Israel, Lord, and Lord, the the plans, Lord, that you have for the church. Lord, I pray that tonight as we go through your word, Lord, I pray that we would understand better your plans and your purposes, Lord, and, and how you are working out prophecy today. Lord, I pray that you would help us to get a good understanding of these things, to be able to apply it to our life. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus, there on his last night with his disciples, established the Lord's Supper. He took Passover, and he took the bread, and he took the cup, and he gave us the Lord's Supper. We're told in Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 29, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave it and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And so the bread there represents Jesus' sinless body. It would be broken for us. It would be our substitute for us. In our place to die for our sins and then the Lord took the cup and said that the cup represented his blood that he would shed he would establish the new covenant for us on the cross this evening I want to explore the new covenant and see how it is worked out through scripture and as we discuss the new covenant tonight, we'll learn four things number one the basics of biblical covenants number two the promise and provisions of the new covenant Third, the relationship of the church to the New Covenant. And fourth, the blessings a Christian enjoys through the New Covenant. So we're going to explore all these things this evening. So first, the basics of biblical covenants. Now, a covenant, as most of you know, is an agreement between two or more parties. And a covenant in the Bible would contain laws and promises. It would contain provisions and and obligations, blessings for obedience and even negative consequences for those that would break a covenant that was made. And God established covenants with mankind in the Bible, and Israel specifically in the Bible. The covenants that God established with mankind in general are found in Genesis chapters 1 through 11. That's when God was dealing with mankind in general, from the garden to the Tower of Babel. But beginning in Genesis chapter 12, God elected Abraham, And he chose the line that would come from Abraham, Israel. And God began making covenants with him and his descendants. Now, this evening, we're only going to focus on the covenants that God made with Israel because this is where um, God is working out this plan for the nation. Now, the covenants that God made with Israel are divided into two categories. Okay, we have what are called conditional covenants and unconditional covenants. A conditional covenant, such as the law of Moses was based upon both parties doing their part to fulfill the obligations of the covenant. Basically, the law said, if you do this, well, you'll be blessed. If you don't do this, well, then curses are going to come upon you. So Israel had a responsibility to keep the covenant that God made with them, the law. There he established with them on Mount Sinai. And when Israel obeyed the law, they were blessed. And when they disobeyed the law, they were under the judgments of the law. Assyria came in in 722 and, and carried away the northern kingdom. And then Judah was carried away after three sieges in 586. But there's also what's called unconditional covenants in the Bible. And that means it's only based upon the person making the covenant. It's upon him and him alone. He is the one who's going to fulfill it, and that's God. The unconditional covenants that God made in the Bible are with Abraham, known as the Abrahamic covenant, the land covenant, the covenant with David, the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant. Now, it's important to note as we talk about covenants, that while it's based upon God alone to fulfill the covenants, not Israel's obedience whatsoever, but if Israel was to enjoy the covenants throughout their time on earth, then they were to walk in obedience. And so, you know, the new, un- un- unconditional covenants are not based upon their obedience, but the enjoyment of those covenants are based upon their obedience. And so when, for example, the land covenant in Deuteronomy 30, God unconditionally promised Israel all their land, and God is going to give Israel all their land in the future. But for Israel to enjoy their land throughout the Bible, they needed to walk in obedience. And when they didn't walk in obedience, enemies would come and they would oppress them and they would take away most of their land. And even today, Israel... Has not possessed all of our land because they haven't yet turned to God as they will, we know, in the future. Now, something else is important to know unconditional covenants that God made with Israel are an outworking of the covenant that God made with Abraham. The covenant that God made with Abraham is very important. The promises and provisions that God made with Abraham are seen in Genesis 12, 13, 15, 17, and chapter 22 of Genesis. Now, if you boiled all those promises down, you can come out with three major categories. God promised Abraham a land, a seed, and a blessing. A land, seed, and blessing. And all of these three things were later expanded into unconditional covenants. For example, the land was later expanded and developed in the land covenant also known as the Palestinian covenant in Deuteronomy 30. So God took that land aspect that was promised to Abraham and expanded it and said, Israel, I'm going to give you all the land. I'm going to promise it to you. Later on, God expanded the seed promise. Paul tells us the seed is Jesus, the Messiah. This was later given to David in a special covenant that God made with David. God told David in 2 Samuel 7 and in 1 Chronicles 17, That one of your descendants is going to be king, and he's eternal, and he's going to sit upon your throne forever in Jerusalem. That seed promise was later developed into the covenant that God made with David. But then there was also the blessing aspect of the covenant that God made with Abraham. God said in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham and you, all the nations of the earth, will be blessed. Yes, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were blessed. And anytime anybody blessed them, they were blessed. But there would also be a blessing that would come upon all nations. And this blessing, we're told by Paul in Galatians, would come through Jesus, the Messiah. And this blessing would also later be expanded in what we call the New Covenant. God, through the prophets, began predicting a blessing that would come upon all the world, and Israel specifically, through the Messiah, through Jesus. And so this is how God is working these things out through the Old Testament, through the covenant that he made with Abraham. Now, one more important thing about covenants. Covenants were often established by a blood sacrifice. When God established the law with Israel there on Mount Sinai, he established it through a blood sacrifice. He had the young men go out and they offered burnt offerings. He took the blood, put it in a basin, and he sprinkled the altar and he sprinkled the people and the covenant was set. 430 years before that, when God made his covenant with Abraham, the same thing happened. But this time, since it was unconditional, Abraham was put to sleep, right? And then there, Abraham, before that, cut two lines, right? He, he offered some animals, and he cut two lines. And there, when Abraham was sleeping, God and a the theophany passed through the middle of those two offerings, establishing that covenant. In the same way, when Jesus went to the cross, the book of Hebrews tells us, that it was through the shedding of blood that this new covenant was established. And so these, this is what God is working out through the scriptures. So second, let's talk about the promises and provisions of the new covenant. The new covenant is introduced in the book of the prophets, and I'm going to read you a number of passages. They'll be up here on the screen as well. They're found in the book of Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah. So first of all, Isaiah chapter 55 verse 3 it says incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you the sure mercies of David and then in Isaiah 59 verses 20 through 21 we're told the redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob says the Lord as for me says the Lord this is my covenant with them my spirit who's upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forever. Then in Ezekiel chapter thirty-six, verses twenty-four through twenty-eight, we're told, "For I will take from among I will take you from among the nations, and I will gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean." I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in all my, statu- in my statues, and you will keep my judgments and do them. And then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. And then in Ezekiel 37, verses 12 and 14, Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open up your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from the graves. I'll put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. Now one more passage, Jeremiah, the, the key new covenant passage. Jeremiah thirty one, thirty one through thirty four Behold the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, and though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Nor more, no more shall every man teach his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. And so these are the promises that began coming out from the prophets to Israel, known as the New Covenant. You see, Israel, during this time, was living under the law, the conditional covenant that God made with them. And Israel began sinning. They began going after idols. And so God began predicting judgment. As I said, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, would go into captivity in 722 by Assyria. And Judah, the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, would later, after three sieges of Babylon, the temple would be destroyed, and they would also go in captivity. But even in the midst of these prophecies of judgment, God began, through his grace, speaking forth promises to Israel, that would come to pass in the future. They were speaking about the Messiah that would come. They were speaking about the kingdom of God that would be established on earth in which Israel would dwell on their land in peace apart from their enemies. And they began talking about a new covenant. The covenant of the old covenant, the law of which they broke that they couldn't keep because they didn't have the spirit of God within them. But God promised that he would give them the spirit of God within them. He would give them power to keep his law and walk in righteousness. And he would also bring them into this land. Now, if you had to put all these passages together and pull from them and glean a number of things from them, you can come up with eight things that the New Covenant consisted of for Israel. These are the promises that they can consist of. Number one, the New Covenant was for both of the houses of Israel. That's who it was given to. It was given to Israel, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was promised to both houses, Israel and Judah. Second, the covenant would be distinct from the law of Moses. You see, the law of Moses was based upon works, but this would be based upon grace. The law was, was uh, conditional, but this would be unconditional. It would be God and him alone who would establish it. The law was temporary, but this would be an eternal covenant that will last forever. The new covenant would provide regeneration. We call it to be born again. Again. It would provide the spirit of God within Israel. And God would write his law on their hearts. And Israel would have the power to walk after God. Fourth, the new covenant would bring national salvation to Israel. Notice Jeremiah says the Jews will no longer have to say, know the Lord, for every single person will know the Lord. And the only way that that, that can happen is when every single Jew is saved. And as we're, as we're going to see, that's only going to happen in the kingdom age. There's going to be a national regeneration of Israel. It's what Jesus wanted when he came at his first coming. This covenant will provide complete forgiveness and removal of Israel's sin. The new covenant will be connected to the fulfillment of the promises of David. We're told in Isaiah it's the mercies of David. And we're also told that the Messiah will come out of Zion and offer this forgiveness to Israel. And so as we're going to see, this happens at the second coming of Jesus. When he comes back... He comes out of Zion, and in connection with the promises of David, he's going to sit upon the throne in Jerusalem, and there he's going to establish a new covenant with Israel, and they're going to enter into their kingdom in the future. Israel is going to be showered with material blessings. And we're told this through all the prophets. So the new covenant is not just a spiritual thing, it was promised to Israel and it's physical and material blessings that will come to Israel. And finally. The new covenant is going to include the monial temple and the rebuilt sanctuary. Israel is going to dwell in their land, safe from their enemies, and they're going to serve the Lord there in the kingdom. So that's the new covenant. Now, when Jesus was talking there in the Olivet Discourse, in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, he was talking to Jews who were wanting to know, hey, when are you going to do these things that you're talking about? And Jesus says, well, here's what's going to happen. The tribulation is going to happen. And then he says, after the tribulation, the Son of Man is going to come back, and he's going to send out his angels throughout the earth, and he's going to gather his elect from the four corners of the earth. The elect are the Jews, the elect believers, the remnant. And they're going to be gathered together to Jesus, and their sins are going to be forgiven, and they're going to enter into the kingdom that was promised by God for a thousand years. Now, this brings us to our third point What is the relationship of the church to the new covenant? Now, concerning the outworking of biblical covenants, Dr. Arnold Fruchtebaum says something very interesting. He says, a covenant can be signed, sealed, and made at a specific point in history, but this does not mean that all the provisions go immediately into effect. In fact, three different things happen once a covenant is sealed. First, some go into effect right away. Second, some provisions go into effect in the near future, which may be 25 years away or 500 years away. And third, some provisions go into effect only in the distant prophetic future, not having been fulfilled to this day. And this is what we see with the covenant that God made with Abraham. Think about those promises that God made with Abraham. Once God cut a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, Abraham and his descendants were blessed, right? And anybody who blessed them were blessed. So it was established. And then later on, we see God continuing to work this out. And even in our day, we see Jesus came as a result of the covenant that God made with Abraham. But yet the promises that God made with Abraham aren't fulfilled yet. When John the Baptist was given the ministry of the Messiah, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, gave a prophecy. And in Luke chapter 1, verses 69 through 75, he praised God. And he said that the prophets from the foundations of the world Spoke that the Messiah would save Israel from all their enemies and all those who hate her. God would remember his oath and his covenant with Abraham that they, Israel, would be delivered from the hand of their enemies and he, they would serve God in holiness and righteousness in the land. That's what the Bible taught the Messiah would do, which is why the Jews were looking for the Messiah to come and free them from their enemies' oppression and establish the kingdom. But what they didn't understand was in order for the Messiah to establish the kingdom, they first needed to receive the new covenant to enter into the kingdom, right? Because the Messiah is going to come back to Zion. He's going to forgive the sins of Israel. They're going to be born again. Then they enter the kingdom. But they missed that. They were looking for the kingdom and not the being born again aspect of it. And this is what Jesus began preaching when he came on the scene. When he met with Nicodemus, He told Nicodemus, the leader of the Jews, you need to be born again if you're going to see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus scratched his head. Jesus says, boy, you're the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? He said, Nicodemus, you have to be born of water and the spirit. And this is referring to Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27 that we just read. I will purify you with clean water and I'll put my spirit within you. Nicodemus should have understood this, that in order for him to enter the kingdom, the new covenant needed to be established. He needed to be born again. And then when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well in John four fourteen, he told her that if she believed in him as the Messiah, she would have fountains of living water that would come forth from her life. And there in John seven thirty eight, when Jesus was talking to the Jewish crowd there at the feast, he said, if anyone believed in him, from the abundance of their heart will flow rivers of living water. And John said, he spoke of the Holy Spirit, which wasn't given yet because he wasn't glorified. Jesus was talking about the promises of the new covenant. You see, in order for Israel to receive the kingdom, they first needed to be born again, which meant they had to repent of their sins and receive Jesus. But we know how the story went. Paul in Romans 9 and 10 says that the leaders of Israel were ignorant of the way of righteousness, which was by faith, so therefore they stumbled over the chief cornerstone. And then they deceived the nation. They made up lies about Jesus, saying that his miracles were by the power of Satan and that he was a breaker of the law, which, of course, was not true. And so they couldn't convict Jesus of these things, and so they wanted to get rid of him. They had no power to kill him, so they delivered him to Rome and said, on the basis of the the fact that he was an insurrectionist, they said, he claims to be a king. And Pilate said, oh, you claim to be a king, which was insurrection. But yet, that couldn't go anywhere because Pilate said, yeah, I don't find any fault in him. But in order to appease the crowd, Pilate had Jesus crucified. Now, yes, Jesus offered the kingdom and the new covenant to Israel, But it was prophesied and foreknew by God that the Messiah would die for the sins of the nation. And God allowed it in order to bring salvation to all mankind. This is how God would work out his new covenant. He would allow the Messiah to go to the cross as a result of Israel's free will rejection of the Savior. And so this is all part of God's plan. Now, God is not done with fulfilling this plan. Because Israel rejected Jesus, God did not cancel the new covenant or, or even cancel Israel from being in their kingdom. He postponed it until after the time of Jacob's trouble. And this is what Paul tells us Gentiles who are in the church. You can read it in Romans chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Paul says this, "'For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel.' until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written The deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them, when I take away their sins. So notice Paul here quoted the new covenant passage that we read earlier from Isaiah fifty nine, twenty through twenty one. It's national salvation of Israel. All Israel will be saved. And this is only going to happen when the Messiah comes back at his second coming. Now, until then, Paul says, we're not going to see the national salvation of Israel, but Israel right now is in partial blindness. They're in partial blindness because not all the nation is blinded. But those Jews who have come to Jesus today, Paul says, and he was one of them, are the remnant of Israel, which he's had throughout all of history. They're the elect remnant. And they are members of the body of Christ and one with you and I as Gentiles. Paul also says that this blindness is temporary. It's not going to last forever. It's only going to last for a time, that is, until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Today, God is calling out Gentiles to his name. That is, you and I in the church age. And we're going to see more Gentiles get saved than Jews. That's what the prophecy says. not because God has only chosen some and not others. It's just because that's what's going to happen, and God foreknew it. Those Jews who come to Jesus are saved. The veil is taken off their heart and those Gentiles that come. And when God uh, has the number of Gentiles that he foreknows are going to be saved, and then he's going to turn his attention back to Israel, and we know this is going to happen through the Great Tribulation. We believe the church is going to be raptured, and then God is going to bring the time of Jacob's trouble, which is a time in which he brings Israel back to the place of repentance in which they're ready to receive him as a Messiah and have national salvation promised in the new covenant. Now, we need to remember... That unconditional covenants are not based upon Israel. They're based upon God. God is going to fulfill this covenant with Israel. But as we learned already, the present enjoyment of God's covenants are only based upon obedience at this present age. And this is the blessing of the new covenant that we see today. Those Jews who believe in Jesus today enjoy the spiritual blessings of the new covenant that Jesus established on the cross while they wait for the physical and national salvation of Israel, which is going to happen at a second coming. The writer of Hebrews, as we're going to learn in men's study for like 40 years, uh, coming up soon, from chapter 7 through chapter 10, it's all about the new covenant. And the reason why he establishes Jesus as the priest is because he is a mediator of a better covenant, the new covenant. And the writer of Hebrews was writing to Jewish believers and said, hey guys, you're enjoying these blessings through Jesus. And we see in Hebrews 12 twenty three through twenty four, he says to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than Abel. And so it's clear that the Jews in Jesus are partaking of the spiritual blessings to the new covenant. Now where things get interesting is that Gentiles in Christ, are said to also be recipients of the new covenant. And this is where Bible teachers start scratching their head. Because Paul, writing to Gentiles, non-Jews, said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5-6. He says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. And so scholars have wrestled with this throughout the years, and sadly, some have come to the conclusion that, well, maybe the church has replaced Israel. And so there is no Israel anymore. Israel is the church, but there's no biblical support for that. Good Bible teachers, such as Calvary Chapel, right, um, people that see a distinction between Israel and the church have come up with three views. Some have taught that there's two new covenants, one for the church and one for Israel. Others have taught one new covenant but two applications, one for the church, one for Israel. I think the third view is probably the most biblical. It's supported by the Bible. It's there's one covenant made with Israel and it will be fulfilled with Israel, but those believers in Christ are partakers of the spiritual blessings of the Jewish covenant. And this is what Paul taught in his letters. Here's three passages. First is in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. He says, Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at the same time you are without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promises, having no hope without God in this world. But now in Christ you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity of That is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. So the law was the middle wall of separation that separate Jews and Gentiles in the Old Testament. It kept Israel Israel, and it kept Gentiles Gentiles. If a Gentile wanted to enjoy these blessings of the Jewish covenants, they had to take upon themselves the law and become Jews, basically. But Paul said, not anymore. When Christ died on the cross, he tore down that middle wall. And now Gentiles, who were once far off, are now partakers of the covenant promises in Christ. And we now are enjoying these blessings. Paul also said this in Ephesians 3. He spoke of a mystery. And there there he says in, in verse 6, and we have become partakers of his promises in Christ through the gospel. So you and I, we haven't taken over these promises. We're just partakers of these things in Christ. And one more promise that we're given is in Romans chapter 11. Paul talked about this tree. He talked about uh, this olive tree. It, was, it was, was basically the place of blessing. There's the first fruits, and this is referring to bread and wheat, And there's also the root and the stump. And so what he's saying is that this is basically the patriarchs and those who received these covenants from God. And the Jews, who are the natural branches, those who remained in Jesus and those who believe in Jesus were enjoying these blessings, right? The blessings that came from Abraham. But those Jews who did not believe were broken off. That's what he said, they were broken off. They weren't enjoying it. But Gentiles, you and I, who believe in Jesus, We've been grafted into these promises, these blessings, and now we are able to enjoy them. We're partakers of them. And so that's what, that's Gentiles, that's the church's place in these things. Now, fourth and finally, what are these blessings that we enjoy now through the new covenant? There's four specific things. First, we're no longer under the law, but under grace, which is a blessing. We no longer have to work in order to be blessed. We walk because we are blessed. And we don't serve God in order to, you know, have him, you know, um, bless us or watch over us. Because we're in Christ, we're under all of his blessings. Second, we have the forgiveness of sins. You see, the law can only cover a person's sins, right? Because the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sins. But in Christ, our sins have been forgiven. God chooses not to hold our sins against us anymore. Third, we have an internal inheritance through faith. In Hebrews, speech to this. In Hebrews 9.15, we have a promise that one day we'll live with Jesus for eternity. And Peter says that our inheritance is laid up for us in heaven with our name on it. And we're kept by the power of God. And fourth and finally, as we learned on Sunday morning, just re- recently, we have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus and John chapter 14, you know, through 16 began teaching about the Holy Spirit, this can only come if he went to the cross and ascended to the Father. Because through the cross, he would establish the new covenant. And the Spirit which will come would abide in them forever. The Spirit who is with you will be in you. And this is the promise, the blessing that we have through the new covenant. The new covenant is not fulfilled. We're only partakers of it now, spiritually, in Christ as we look forward to God fulfilling it with Israel in the future. Every covenant had a sign or a token throughout the Bible, right? We all know from Bible class, what was Noah's? It was the rainbow. God said, I'm going to make a covenant with Noah and all mankind, so I'm going to give you the rainbow. That's the sign that you're under this covenant. With Abraham, he gave a sign of circumcision. If you're in this covenant, you're circumcised. The law was the Sabbath day. Well, the new covenant sign is the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Which is why when the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, Peter quoted Joel chapter 2, which was a passage that refers to the end times. But he took it and he applied it to that Jewish audience that was there that day. Why? Because, yes, it would be fulfilled in the future, but the blessings they are receiving were were, were the application of that blessing in Jesus. They were seeing the outpouring of the Spirit as a result of the new covenant. Because we have the Spirit within us, we have power to walk in the newness of life. We're told that we now have power over our flesh. We're made children of God. We're adopted as sons. We're sealed for the day of redemption. We're given the earnest guarantee of the engagement ring. We're given the helper to come alongside of us. We're given the ability to remember all things. He leads us into all things. He guides us and he reveals Christ to us. These are all blessings that we have in the new covenant. So in closing, God has established covenants in the Bible. They're divided into conditional and unconditional. Those unconditional covenants that God has are really worked out from the covenant that God made with Abraham. And one of those is the new covenant that God has blessed us with through Christ. This covenant will literally be fulfilled at Christ's second coming with Israel that God promised it to. But today, the church, which is made up of Jews and Gentiles, are partakers of the spiritual blessing of salvation that comes through it and the permanent indwelling of the Spirit that comes through it because Jesus is the mediator of the covenant. And Paul even said, hey, God predicted that Gentiles would be in the covenant of Abraham. He preached the gospel to him long ago. So there is a place for Gentiles in these things. You and I stand in grace, and we look forward to the final fulfillment in the future when Israel will be saved and blessed in their kingdom. Amen?